Welcome back to Young Smart Money, show number nine, with me, your host, Apple Kreider, the show where we talk personal finance, entrepreneurship, and wealth building for high school and college students. Today, we're changing it up a little bit. We're doing something a little bit different. And instead of me bringing on a guest to interview, I am actually being interviewed by the good people of Earth Speak Radio, a radio show in Madison run by students. So if you guys are interested in learning more about EarthSpeak Radio, check them out at earthspeakradio.wordpress.com. But without further ado, let's get into the interview. You are currently listening to EarthSpeak Radio, a program dedicated to bringing you Mother Nature stories, reporting from the earth, the sea, and the sky up above. Tonight is all about sustainable finances and entrepreneurship in Madison. That's right, Hannah. Here in the studio with us tonight, we have Apple Kreider to tell us all about financial literacy skills for college students. Apple is a student right here at UW-Madison that will tell us all about investing, budgeting, credit cards, and even side hustles. Welcome to Earthseek Radio, Apple. Have you ever been on the airwaves before? I have not. Thank you very much for having me, Trina. I really do appreciate this. Well, I am a big fan, so <laughs> I'm glad to have you on. So the first thing we saw when you opened up your website was the term financial literacy, which you use a good amount in um, your materials. What does that term mean to you exactly, and does it have a different definition for college students specifically? Um, so basically, um, the way I use the term financial literacy is basically I look at the word literacy first. So if you're literate, you basically know how to make sense of a series of symbols called letters that are going to form words and represent objects. However, if you're financially literate, then you know how to make sense of a series of financial decisions. These could be investing, credit cards, etc., that make up your financial situation and that will really guide the course of your life. So a financial financially literate person would sort of be able to answer the question, um, what are the benefits and downsides to having a credit card for me? Or how can I invest my money today in a reasonably safe investment so that five to 10 years down the road, when I'm ready to buy a house, it has been working for me and multiplied rather than sitting in a savings account, losing value to inflation every day. So that's sort of what I see um, financial literacy as, just being able to answer these questions and sort of have a grasp on the bigger financial picture of your life, um, both as a college student and just as a person in general. So you're the first college student I've met that's really been passionate about financial literacy. What inspired you to learn about this in the first place? Well, I've been working part-time jobs since I was about 14 years old. And as a 14-year-old, there's really only so much um, Sour Patch Kids and video games that you can really buy. <laughs> so you end up having some extra money left over that at that point I really didn't know what to do with. So by the time I got to the age of 17, um, I had some money sitting in a savings account, not really doing anything, and I sort of wondered, what could I be doing with this money besides just letting it sit here? I felt like there was some potential that I wasn't really taking advantage of. So I sort of took to the internet, um, took to a good old Google search, as you do, and I sort of looked up just what can you do with a couple thousand dollars in a savings account? Like, what could I do as a 17-year-old with this money that would allow me to sort of get something more, um, get some value out of it rather than just having it sit there. So I came across these two YouTube channels um, that I sort of started watching pretty um, routinely. 
and they were Ryan Scribner and Graham Stephan. And these guys um, have really been a big inspiration to the stuff that I have started to produce. And um, they just sort of gave me a good um, jumping off point for the whole financial literacy, um, how to start investing and stuff like that. And I found with these guys, they weren't really aimed at college students and they were sort of focused on um, a bigger picture just of yourself and of people in general. Um, and what I really wanted to do is instead of what they were doing, they were sort of working on digging you out of a hole that you got in financially. So if you were already in sort of a mess, they were the ones to go to that would help you get out of that mess. But what I wanted to do is to instead target college students and help them not get into those financial messes in the first place. What is the financial gap that exists between school and the real world? What is the important bridge to that gap? Um, so basically, I see the financial gap is I sort of look at what we're taught in schools, and then I look at what is said to get by in the real world, sort of once you graduate college um, and just when you're in college in general. So look at the stuff you're taught in school. Look at the trigonometry. Look at the Pythagorean theorem. Um, and then look at the skills that you're going to need in your real life, stuff like how do I effectively manage credit? How do I apply for a mortgage? Um, how do I invest my money so that it's not losing value to inflation every single year? And don't exactly line up, and you're not exactly learning um, some of these valuable life skills that you're going to need to get by in the school system. So that is really what I see, just this um, void in between what we're taught and what we need to know to get by um, financially in the real world. So let's dive into a bigger category that you like to talk about um, We've seen that a, a big category on your website is credit cards. Um, so could you give us a very kind of basic rundown of the things you talk about in your content about them? Perhaps a few things you think it's most important for students first getting one to know? For sure. So first I'll give you my top three things to just know about credit cards in general. And then I'll sort of give you like my top three tips for college students when it comes to credit. So if it's in general, um, the first thing you have to know is what your credit score is made up of. So there are five main categories that go into a credit score and they are the following. So first you have your payment history and this is going to make up 35% of your credit score. And this basically just means, are you paying your bills on time and are you missing any payments? Do you have any derogatory marks on your credit report? If not, you're doing great and you've got that 35% of your credit score locked down. The next 30% is made up of your credit utilization. So this is just a fraction symbolizing how much of your available credit you're using every single month. So say you have a $1,000 limit on your credit card and you're using $500 of that limit every single month, that would put you at a 50% credit utilization. So the key with utilization is to keep it low. The best credit utilization to have is actually 1%. So if you only used 1% of your available credit, you would be scoring the best in this category. Um, however, if you keep that under 30%, it will be positively impacting your credit score. Um, and if you keep it above 30%, it's going to be negatively impacting your credit score. So you want to keep that as low as possible. The next category is the amount of lines of credit that you actually have. So believe it or not, the more lines of credit you have, the better it impacts your credit score. So some people think that it might be disadvantageous to have a lot of credit cards, that that might adversely impact their credit score, whereas this isn't going to be the case if you're able to effectively manage and utilize these in a responsible manner. So to actually get a positive impact on your credit score from the number of lines of credit, you're going to need at least 10 different lines of credit, which is surprising to a lot of people. A lot of people might think you just have like a credit card and a car loan and maybe a mortgage and you'd be good to go. But in reality, um, unless you have at least 10 lines of credit that you're effectively managing, it's actually going to have an adverse impact and that's going to impact 15% of your credit score. The uh, fourth category is your 
um, credit mix in use. So this is just how many different types of credit you have, sort of similar to the last category, um, but just the diversity of your credit uh, sources. So again, having that auto loan, maybe a credit card, maybe some student loans, a mortgage, um, a business loan, having all these different lines of credit and banks seeing that you're able to manage all of them is going to positively impact your score. And the last one is credit inquiries. So a credit inquiry is anytime you apply for a new line of credit, the bank is going to run a credit inquiry on your account. And that's going to ding you a couple points um, just for about the next six months to a year. So this just um, is something to know about because you don't want to be applying for a lot of different lines of credit in a short amount of time because banks are going to see that as a red flag, that you are shopping around for loans, that you're not able to get approved. So you do want to space out your applications for loans and credit cards a bit. Now, the next common myth um, among credit cards that you should carry a balance, this is absolutely false. You should never carry a balance on your credit card. It is not worth it to be racking up these interest payments um, because you think it's going to benefit your credit score. As we saw in those categories, <laughs> carrying a balance was no part of your credit score, so that will have no effect on your credit score. And the last one is just don't spend more than you would have if you're paying with cash. So some people, um, they don't have as much of an emotional connection when they're paying with a credit card as opposed to cash. Because when you pay with cash, you give them, say, a $20 bill and they give you back a like $2. You see this exchange clearly happening. You gave them all up $20 and they returned two. So there was clearly an exchange of money there. However, when you pay with a card and they hand it right back to you, then it's not as clear that there was an exchange and it sort of just seems like um, you just got something for nothing. So you really have to keep in mind where you're spending your money and keep a solid budget. So I have a quick question. You said 10 lines of credit over a given time span, and you said not to space those credit applications too closely together. So what what would be a reasonable amount of time to like get all of those applications in that you're talking about? For sure. That's a great question. Um, so currently, I'll just tell you what I'm doing. So I'm currently applying for credit cards about six months apart. Um, because this just gives me enough time to build credit on each one, to establish um, good relationships with each bank, to not have them see that I'm just trying to burn through credit cards as fast as I can. Um, and I'm just opening them one at a time and um, about six months apart just to and gives me time to do research as well as to which credit card I want to apply for next. Um, and yeah, so I would I would say no more than one credit card every six months. Um, if you're just trying to be pretty conservative and just um, build that credit score up uh, little by little. Do you have a four-digit credit score? Um, no. Actually, credit scores, um, the general uh, range for credit scores is going to be from 300 to an 850. So an 850 would be your perfect credit score. Um, so unfortunately, there is no way to get a four-digit credit score. <laughs> Thank you for debunking that myth. Absolutely. What are some of the top strategies for students to use and budget and save money right now? Okay, for sure. So the three biggest places that I see students spending money are going to be on textbooks, groceries, and housing. Those are the three biggest expenses that I see among my peers. I'm just going to give you some tips on each one of these. So on textbooks, I rent used from Amazon. So steer clear of the bookstore. They're going to be charging you significantly more for your textbooks than you need to be paying. This is just going to save you tons and tons of money on your textbooks over the course of your college career. Additionally, I would say wait until after week one to get your textbooks just to see if you're actually going to use or if there's an online resource that could substitute your textbook in your given class. Groceries, um, I would say if you eat meat, 
um, definitely cut back there because that is going to be the biggest expense for a lot of college students is meat. And I mean, it's problematic for many reasons, both ethically and monetarily. But if you really need to buy meat, I would do the stuff that's on sale. Um, it's going to save you a lot of money and you can easily spend um, a good bit of your grocery budget on meat if you're not careful there. Additionally, with uh, groceries, I would say buy your food in bulk. So the bulk section of the grocery store is my best friend. I get tons of stuff there. You can just fill up a plastic bag with whatever you want, pay for packaging. You're just paying for the food, which is great, and it will save you a lot of money if you learn to take advantage of that bulk food section. Now, when it comes to housing, um, it sort of seems like college students have two options. They can either live in a cheap and crowded mess, or they can get good living conditions, but it's going to be really expensive. So the two better options that I see for college students are to, one, either become an RA um, and essentially uh, live for free um, in housing and get a food stipend at the same time. So that looks like a really good um, option for me. Um, if you're not into the whole living on campus thing, however, you could potentially try house hacking. So what house hacking is, in a nutshell, very simple, is it is where you buy a multifamily um, housing, so like a duplex, a triplex, a fourplex, and you live in one of the units and you end up renting out the other units to cover your mortgage payment. So this can be a great option for you if you're looking to live for free or even get paid to live as a college student um, and you don't want to be an RA, this could be a great option for you as well. So those are my um, ways to cut down on textbooks, groceries, and housing expenses. So going, I just have a question about that. How do you go about buying a house as a college student yeah do you need to get your parents in on that or what's your like strategy that you would have going into that so when it comes to getting some real estate as a college student um you're probably not going to be able to go down the traditional path of getting a mortgage just because you probably don't have again the credit history the income coming in um and really just the necessary uh base um that most adults have to actually get a mortgage from a bank. So you're going to have to turn to more creative um, solutions when it comes to financing. And I don't want to get too much into this right now just because there is a lot of ways to finance um, real estate. But um, Maybe there's some other videos listeners could check out if they're interested. Definitely, definitely. Okay. Um, got a couple of videos on that on my channel that you could definitely check out. Yes, and I'll look for you at open houses in the future <laughs> as well. <laughs> All right, so moving on um, from that topic, it looks like another substantial topic of yours is the stock market. Why should college students even care about that at this point in their lives? And um, then, since I assume you believe they should, um, what are some basics they should know? All right, good question, Hannah. So essentially, why you should care about investing right now is because compound interest can be your best friend if you give it time to work for you. So the average American making $45,000 a year, investing 15% of their income from the age of 20 until they retire at the age of about 65, <laughs> is going to retire with about $2.9 million. That is on a $45,000 a year salary. So pretty impressive, only saving 15% of your income. However, if you wait until the age of 30, you actually only retire with about $1.2 million. So again, if you wait at only 10 years to start investing you limit yourself to about 40 percent of your potential returns and this is the difference between um living a retirement on two hundred thousand dollars a year and seventy thousand dollars a year so 
I'm not saying that the quality of your life revolves around money. I just think it's important that young people are aware of their options early on so they don't get to the age of 40 and feel like they were cheated out of the chance to retire comfortably. Um, when it comes to basics that students should know, uh, my three top things that I tell people are first, just to in invest in what you understand. So um, find a company that you really understand or a business or something that you really understand before you actually put money in it and have skin in the game. So a good example of this is Bitcoin. So this was a big hype, um, especially on campus. I heard so many people talking about Bitcoin a couple months ago. Um, now, not so much, but um, everybody was putting their money into Bitcoin. Everybody was pumping all their savings account into Bitcoin, but they really had no idea what even it was. They just thought it was a way to get rich quick. So that's a good example of people investing in stuff that they didn't actually understand. My second tip is to diversify your investments. So just don't put all your eggs in one basket. Um, invest in a bunch of different things so that if one goes down, the rest will balance it out. And lastly, the most valuable investment that you can make as a college student, I feel, is to invest in yourself. So whether that be starting a business, um, learning a more valuable skill, just any way that you can actually better yourself, um, because that is going to pay huge dividends throughout the course of your lifetime. So you have an amazing online presence regarding financial literacy for college students. You've got a website, you've got all these videos, you've got social media. And you, you just got a new online course up and running, right? Can yeah. you tell us a little bit about what that's all about and how it can be accessed? For sure. Um, so the course is called $100 and a Smartphone, <laughs> and it basically runs college, student, college students through how to invest their first $100 from their smartphone. Um, so it's based off of the most common questions that I'm asked by my peers, um, questions like what is a stockbroker, what's the best stockbroker, um, what's the best investment option for a college student with limited funds? How do you even buy stocks or invest your money in the first place? And how can you actually do that for free? Go to my website, applecrider.com, C-R-I-D-E-R.com. It's not critter. <laughs> <laughs> Since you have such a great online presence, could you just give some tips on that briefly? Maybe would you recommend to students or anyone trying to create a similar online presence? Yeah, absolutely. So my number one tip is to just start today. Really just got to put stuff out there, see how it's received and build upon that. Um, take a chance, throw something out there and see what people say about it. So the thing to me is just providing massive amounts of value um, and free content to people. I know that my target audience is definitely not stacked with funds. So having that um, without having to pay for it is definitely a must. Now, you mentioned side hustles a lot um, on your website. What does that mean, and do you have one you could share with us? Yeah, so I define a side hustle as of income sort of besides your typical 9 to 5 W-2 job. So it's often something that you do um, and enjoy doing in your free time and that you're able to figure out how to monetize. So whether you like shoes, cars, really anything, you can turn that into a viable side hustle and start making money off of it. So how would you actually go about doing that? Um, in my opinion, the easiest way to do so is just start a YouTube channel. All you need to do is a smartphone. I film all of my videos on my iPhone. Um, I started off filming my videos on my iPhone, propped up on a computer, on top of a garbage can, on top of a chair, on top of a table, <laughs> in a basement. So you can really start with very minimal supplies um, and just set it up and just turn it on and start talking. And people will watch if you provide valuable content, if you're passionate about what you're talking about, people will watch, people will care, and you will start um, to provide valuable people and figure out a way to potentially monetize that someday if that is what you're looking to do. 
So, Apple, we are getting to the end of our time, but do you have any final thoughts that you'd like to leave our listeners with about being a financially literate college student? For sure. Um, So I think if you take one thing from this, it should be that what is easy is not always best. And even if you don't think you're going to do anything with the information, the best piece of advice I have ever been given is to just learn as much as possible. Even if you think, I'm never going to need this, I'm never going to want to do this, it's best to just know about so many different things so that you have your options open at all times. So um, as far as places to learn more, some of the best places that I would say to get started learning more about financial topics and financial literacy, if that's something you're interested in, and I may be a bit biased here, um, but my first one would be applecrater.com. Um, my second one would be my YouTube channel, Apple Crider, followed by Nate O'Brien, which is another YouTube channel which focuses more on investing and how college students can actually start their own business. So if you're more interested in that end, I would recommend Nate O'Brien. If you're more interested in the credit card side of things, I would recommend the YouTube channel called Ask Sebi, uh, spelled A-S-K-S-E-B-B-Y. And if you're more interested in the saving money aspect, I would recommend the financial diet. Um, These are just really good resources that I've gotten a ton of information from and gotten a ton of value from, and they make really great content over there. So I'd really recommend checking those guys out. All right. Now, before we let you go, I got to ask, your name is pretty memorable. Is that your real name? Is this your nickname? And how did you get this? Um, Well... At this point, it's almost my real name, but it is still a nickname. So in second grade, there was a kid who thought Andrew Kreider sounded like apple cider. And I know it's a stretch, but it was second grade. Uh, But the name really stuck. So ever since then, I've been apple to my friends, my teachers, my professors, and really everybody except for my immediate family. And I sort of I thought about leaving it behind when I came to Madison, actually. But like you said, it is pretty memorable. So I said, why not roll with it? Well, we love it, so. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on to discuss financial literacy. It was a pleasure to finally meet you, Apple. You'll have to keep us tuned with how the website and how the course goes in the future. All right, guys, thanks for tuning in to the podcast. That was my interview with Earthspeak Radio. I hope you guys got a lot from that. Heard a lot about financial literacy, about credit cards, credit scores, all that good stuff. So be sure to let me know what you guys thought of this episode because I do really, really love your guys' feedback. It really just gets me going every single day. And for our money pun of the day, a Rolex employee committee suggested using inferior materials to save money. The CEO was like, not on my watch. The committee was then disbanded. Well, guys, next week we're going to be coming back with a crazy, amazing guest. So be sure to come back for that. Um, But if you guys are looking for some more resources in the meantime, until you wait for next Tuesday for the next episode of Young Smart Money, I have got some ones that I would like to highlight for y'all. First is my website, applecreator.com, where you're going to find the show notes for this episode at applecreator.com slash 009. Also, we've got a course out, a completely free online video lecture course called $100 in a smartphone, sort of geared at people who have not quite started to invest yet, people who are probably around the age of like 18 to 25 who haven't quite dipped their feet in the investing pool yet. If you guys are interested in that, teach you how to invest with just $100 in your phone, completely free. Again, that'll be at applecredit.com course. 
And lastly, you can always find me on YouTube where I have a daily show really just highlighting any personal finance, entrepreneurship or credit card related topics that I think can be timely and really relevant for young people today. Anyways, guys, thank you very much for checking out Young Smart Money with me, your host, Apple Crater. And before I go, I would like to challenge you to seek out somebody who you look up to. Maybe it's somebody who you watch on YouTube. Maybe it's somebody whose podcast you listen to. Maybe it's somebody whose blog you read. Just somebody whose content you consume and that you generally, generally look up to and just think they put out some really good stuff and you really respect them. And what I wanna challenge you to do is to actually reach out to that person. Because I know for me personally, I was watching these guys on YouTube, I was reading their blogs, but I wasn't actually reaching out to people and I wasn't making these connections. And what I didn't really realize is that if you reach out to people nine times out of 10, I mean, it depends, it depends on what kind of mindset they're in, but nine times out of 10, if they are good at what they do, they're gonna give you their time of day because they really respect what you have to say if you are taking the time to consume their content and actually listen to them. So I wanna challenge you to reach out to somebody whose content you consume, somebody who you respect and puts out content in any realm that you just respect and that you get a lot of value from. Just reach out to them and ask them a question, like get to know them because you never know when these connections could come in handy. And it really does make a difference to take that relationship to the next level of actually reaching out to the person instead of just consuming their content. I think it's a really valuable thing to do. So that is what I wanna challenge you guys to do today. So let me know at apple at applecredit.com who you reach out to and if they do respond to you or not. I'd be very interested to hear who you guys are looking up to, consuming, etc. Anyways, folks, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes. I really would appreciate it. Those reviews really do count. They really do help me out. And um, they give me a ton of value in uh, thinking about how I can adapt the show to best uh, suit you guys and give you guys the most value as possible. So I will be um, highlighting some feedback in the next episode. For Young Smart Money, my name is Apple Crater, and I will see you next week.